Welcome to the Longevity Week podcast, hosted by the Longevity Forum. We will be featuring podcasts all week on the theme, The Age of Resilience, which you can catch online, thelongevityforum.com. On this episode, Declan Dugan, Chief Medical Officer of Juvenescence, will be interviewing Norman Lazarus. Now to you, Declan. Hello. Professor Norman Lazarus is professor at the Centre for Human and Applied Physiological Sciences at King's College London. He's a physician scientist and has extensive experience in academia and industry at the Wellcome Foundation in the Department of Health in the UK. He was raised in South Africa and attended medical school at the University of Witwatersrand, later traveling to the US to complete his PhD at the State University of New York ultimately settling in a family in UK. At the Wellcome Foundation, he was head of diabetes research, biochemical research, and cell biology, respectively. He later joined the Department of Health as head of food chemical section and developed insights into the relationship between health policy, food chemical regulation, and society's well-being. Professor Lazarus is also a keen cyclist, having decided at the age of 70 10 years after retirement to return to academia to study healthy human aging. He became an active participant in the research and together with his colleague, Professor Harridge at King's College, leads an active and expert team on healthy human aging. Using his own health-related experiences, coupled with these extensive medical and scientific investigation, he has developed very pragmatic approaches to the attainment and preservation of healthy aging. He has written a fascinating account of his journey in the book, The Lazarus Strategy. It is a privilege to welcome Professor Lazarus to the forum to share his perspectives. Norman, I'd like to ask you a few questions to understand your views based on these experiences and your research. I enjoyed your book, The Lazarus Strategy, and it shows how you became a wonderful example of healthy aging. I wonder, could you tell us what your health plan is and indeed how this came about? Well, I suppose I got to start when I was a young boy because everything starts when one is a young boy. And I was born in South Africa in the free state, way out in the farms. And of course, the thing about South Africa is the climate pushes you outdoors, summer or winter, And I was born at a time when the only electrical gadget anywhere in the house was the radio. So you had to do your own entertainment as a youngster. And of course, part of that entertainment you would immediately grasp when you were young is to do physical things. So doing physical things was just part of life. And when I moved to school, of course, the school also had a sports program and we were all expected again to do physical things. Again, no thought, no great thought going into the idea of doing exercise. It was just part of what we did. At university, I played squash and the same sort of thing. However, in my middle ages, I also had a weight problem. So although I was active, I was unfortunately bordering on overweight into a beast. And it was only at the age of 55. And you can tell I'm a late developer, which says lots about me, doesn't it? Anyway, at the age of 55, I suddenly confronted this obese problem 
which had been in my mother's side of the family. And I decided that I was definitely going to do something about it. And I vowed that I was never going to be overweight again. And as a result of that, I had this new lean body, which I could now take to places in physical exercise that I had never realized before. And so if you regard my young life as snapshots of physical activity through these various decades, at 55, my relationship to exercise with my body and my mind now became a movie. And what do I mean by that? Well, I became my own longitudinal study of the effects of aging on my body as I became older. It was the first time that I became conscious that the way you lived your life, your lifestyle in other words, could have an enormous impact on the way you aged and also on the outcomes of that aging. And it was from that time that I began to develop thoughts that aging or healthy aging, pendant upon integrative physiology, that I was not part of various systems stuck together, something like uh, Dr. Frankenstein made his monster, but that all the systems were operating in concert and also were synchronous and coherent. And so then I began to interest myself in lifestyle and healthy aging. Thank you for that. You made a vow. Um, yes. Are you, a very, are you a very determined person and are you unusual in this regard? I, I can't answer whether I'm unusual, of course, because it's, uh, one doesn't sort of do those kind of uh, testing around for people to find out. But if you say, am I able to put my mind to something and stick to it? I think the answer is yes. Of course, and I'd really like to keep to this obesity side of it if I could. I'd inherited this problem from my mother's side. And of course, there's always a genetic element into it. But in these behavioral problems, and remember, I talk in this interview exclusively about behavioral problems and not other genetic problems. The genetic component is about 20%. You can override this genetic component by your behavior. In order to override this behavior, you've really got to understand yourself. You've got to know that you have decided that enough is enough and that you are making the commitment to begin to change your lifestyle. Nobody else can do it for you. It's got to come from yourself and you've got to begin to understand yourself in order to do that effectively. So in that instance, if you say, can I concentrate on something? Can I put my mind to something? The answer is definitely yes. 
What is your opinion of the present approach to aging and diseases of aging? Do you accept the concept of longevity research and extension of life expectancy? We have done well in terms of adding years to life, but it could be argued with added years of disability as well. That is a really interesting question. And the answer to that is I think that we haven't yet, even as any nation, this nation, any other nation, begun to address healthy aging and how we should address it. I would say to the people who are listening to this podcast that if they are aged somewhere around 40 and 50 years of age, they are part of the cohort who are going to be in 2015, according, 2050, I'm sorry, according to the WHO statistics, they are going to be the cohort who are going to be the problem, if you want to put it that way. And it's very important for people of this age to begin to change their lifestyles so that they do not, in 2050, become part of the problem. The people who rule most nations are around about that age. They're in charge of everything. And so it would be lovely if you, as the future people in charge, would in fact begin to adopt those necessity, those styles of living your life in such a way that you became exemplars of what a lifestyle should be. Otherwise, we are not going to be able to cope with the coming amount of 80-year-olds in the time frame that I've spoken about. I think many people would be in violent agreement with you. So is this a message to Boris Johnson, who is in the age group that you describe, and he could be a great exemplar of this? I would him out as the exemplar of what I want to do, but he certainly is one of the people. In fact, all people who are in charge, whether they are politicians, whether they are in charge of our health service, Indeed, even those people who might be in charge of the purse strings for science need themselves to understand that they, unless they change their lifestyle, are in fact not going to be able to present to us the proper examples of what we should be in order to ensure that those 80-year-olds who arrive are not problems. We mustn't look at them as problems. If we ensure that the people are living the correct lifestyle, then they become part of the solution. And 80-year-olds in the year 2015, I assure you, we're going to find that healthy 80-year-olds are going to make a very, very positive contribution to society we must stop looking at old people as if they are a burden. We have got to understand that we can have our aged population in a state of health that they cease to be a burden. Of course, you can raise the objection 
everybody has got to die. I agree. So what difference you might ask, does it matter if you are healthy or unhealthy? Because we're all going to end up in the same place. Ah, oh, my friends, the differences in the resources that if you are unhealthy are going to have to be allocated to you and those resources are going to be allocated for about the final three decades of your life. If you're healthy, and you can immediately see that the time in which you are going to need resource towards the end of your life are much, much shorter. So there is a clear difference between why the clear distinction between the two ways of aging. A little bit more about aging and time. How does the passage of time affect concepts of physiological regulation? Is our aging path largely determined by genetics? But you've just said that by taking the vow, you are able to alter the course of your health of evolution. What is your view about just the natural decline with time? You actually point to this in your book with the different levels of, as it were, young fitness and how that declines with time. If you're very fit as a young person, are you going to end up, if you behave well, with a, a fit 80-year-old? I don't want to start off being too pretentious here, but if you think about Newtonian physics, and how useful it was or useful it, it is that it can explain most things. But if you add time to that, if you add time to our three dimensions and make another four dimensions, your whole perception of the way the universe works alters. And I said, I don't want to be too pretentious, but if you add now time to the way we look at aging, the whole perception of aging physiology changes. And I need to now just backtrack a little, if you will allow me. Our forebears survived because they could hunt. They could hunt because evolution by whatever process, by mistakes, by searching around, eventually gave us a physiology which was superbly attuned to chasing prey. Endurance physiology. That hasn't changed from our forebears. We're only 40,000 years away. And that, I think, is not sufficient time to really have altered our underlying genetics in terms of the way we age. If we then think that we exercise is intrinsic to our survival, we begin to see that the removal of exercise is in fact an experimental condition. The removal exercise is, is not negative. It has a profound effect on our physiology because we are moving away from our default human state. That means I now have two kinds of physiology. So let us 
keep for a moment on the people who are active and living the right, what I call the correct lifestyle. Now, the aging process in these exercises is a completely different process to what is happening in the people who are sedentary and are not exercised. The stark difference and the absolute, as stark as you can be, the removal of exercise in that phenotype means that one of the pillars that is essential in order for our species to survive has been removed. And the resultant of that, we can look and see all around us. There is an experiment taking place across the world, an inadvertent experiment. Nobody set it up by purpose. And that inadvertent experiment is what is the effect of a sedentary lifestyle on human physiology. To those people who are listening, I suggest look around at your nation or my nation. You will find that many, many people are obese. You will find that aging is now associated with disease and that disease is inevitable. So let us switch back now to this 20% of people who are in fact adhering to the correct lifestyle and let us now follow their aging process. I need again to just take a little detour here. In order for us to study aging, we need a population experimentally, we need a population in which variables are, have been removed. Let me give you an idea of what variables need to be removed. We need to ensure that when we study the effects of physical activity on a population, that that population is doing the same amount, the same intensity of physical activity. We need to ensure they're in the same discipline. We need to ensure that they're eating the right foods. We need to ensure they're well housed. We need to ensure that they are of the correct mental attitude. All of those things need to be in place in order to begin to compare how the aging process is operating in these exercises. Obviously, you can see that is a very, very big logistical problem, but there is a way we can overcome it. We can overcome it by looking at a group of people who exercise throughout their lives, namely master athletes, and we can look at their ages from 40 to 80. So you see now we can begin to examine the aging process over time. And let's see what happens to the aging process over time. So we've got this group of people and let's say, oh, we could pick any discipline, but I'm going to pick swimming. So we have 
this group of people, all swimmers, who in fact are adhering to a lifestyle and all are adhering to a similar lifestyle. And let us follow them as they age. Okay, they're not the same people. In other words, I'm not doing a longitudinal study. This is a cross-sectional study. But it's interesting that even though this is a cross-sectional study, the differences between the people, because we've eliminated those confounding factors I spoke to you about, is almost as good as a longitudinal study. And what do we find? We find that, and these are beautiful studies looking at 11 years of American swimming championship at 1500 meters for people aging from 40 to 80. Again, what do we see? We see that their decline in their times for their event goes down gradually, 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 until about 75, where it suddenly accelerates. Why it accelerates, I don't know. But the important point I want to bring out to you, that is a smooth curve all the way down. There's absolutely no indication of any disintegration. And of course, you can define a disease because of the disintegration of physiology. That's one way of defining it. There is no disintegration of physiology. Ah, oh, my listeners, you then say to me, that is 11 years of swimmers doing 1500 meters. What has that got to do with aging across the population? Ah. Oh, if I take swimmers who are doing 100 meters, okay, notice the switch. I'm going from endurance or long-term physical activity, not short physical activity. What curve do these swimmers follow as they age? In other words, how does their time decrease as they get older. The change in time over that distance follows the same change in time that the 1500 meter swimmer follows. I'm going to even blow your mind a little bit further. There are beautiful studies in which athletes 100 meters, 200 meters, 300 meters, 4, 8, 15, 10,000 meters runners. From what I've told you, how the times of those runners going to change over time. And it turns out that the curves for each one of those disciplines will follow the same downward pattern as swimmers do, makes no difference what the discipline is. They all follow the same curve. Now remember, we have made sure that these people in their disciplines 
we've removed all the variables that we thought about. So what is left? What can be driving this decrease in their performance times? And the answer is age. You might then say, ah, oh, it's because they are athletes. But the athletes are not chosen on age. They are chosen on performance. So that doesn't quite hold water. What would happen, you would immediately ask yourself to somebody like myself, who's a dedicated exerciser. Well, I'd say, let us say I've decided to become a swimmer. I've got the wrong legs. I've got the wrong arms. I've got the wrong long body, but I decided I want to become a swimmer. So I'm going to be a terrible swimmer. My times are going to be horrible. But if now I keep to the same discipline, if I make sure I'm swimming at the same intensity for my age, if I make sure that my diet is in correct and in place, if I make sure again that I'm thinking properly and I'm not depressed, if I make sure that my living conditions in order for me to be able to swim are proper, if I have the same motivation, namely that I want to be champion, and let us now follow me as I swim through my aging years, I see absolutely no reason for my performance drop-off to follow the same drop-off as any other athlete. And from that becomes the idea that the aging process that we have is a total human aging process and that it's not individual to ourselves. You might then say, why then do we all look as if we're aging differently? Well, that is another question. And for that, I think I would like to go to the other phenotype, the non-exercising phenotype, which I would like to concentrate on for a few minutes. That phenotype, we've removed exercise. So we've removed one of the most important factors that drives our survival. As a result of that, we begin to get the imposition of disintegration of various physiological systems in the body. And now you see, I've moved from an integrated physiology to a disease model. And the disease model works in terms of systems disintegrating. And which system is going to disintegrate at which time depends upon the individual. We now can see that 20 year olds are getting type 2 diabetes. So it can start very young. Or type 2 diabetes might start in your 50s. It's all dependent upon this variation of your physiology. But it is not the aging process that is determining these diseases. It's in fact lifestyle. And as a result of lifestyle, lifestyle begins to change the effects of the aging system on human physiology. Norman, that is a perfect point on which to pause and stop this interview, which has been fascinating. We could go on all day, but your perspective is truly inspirational. The fact that you don't just 
proselytize, you do it as well uh, as both a credit to yourself and to your specialty. All I can say is, as a consequence of talking with you, take a serious look at my own attitude and my advice to my family may be somewhat more vigorous than it has been in the past. And I hope this message gets out to a lot of people and that the folks on the forum actually take note of it and indeed take action. Many thanks indeed. Thank you very much, Declan. This broadcast has been brought to you by the Longevity Forum as part of Longevity Week 2020. We are very grateful to our sponsors, Juvenescence, Hill Dickinson, and Burnbray. For more podcasts, visit our website, thelongevityforum.com, or follow us on Twitter, longevity underscore forum.